Romans chapter 1, and if you'd stand, if you get there then to verse 16, I ask you to stand again just for the reading of God's word, just for a few moments. Romans 1 and verse 16 and 17, just those two verses, we'll all read it together. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, once you're there, you're able to stand, then we'll read it all together. Romans 1, 16 and 17, praise the Lord. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father, this morning we're so thankful for the sense of your presence. Lord, we know that you're here. And Lord, we thank you that you're here to minister to us, your people, your body. We pray that by the power of your spirit that you would speak into every life in this room. Lord, we know, Lord, that the only limitation that there would be put upon you is our own unbelief. So Lord, we pray that we would not limit the Holy One of Israel, but that faith would arise in our hearts this day, that we would take your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, not only be hearers of it, but be doers of it. And Lord, that through these lives that you be glorified. Meet every need in this house. Lord, meet every need in this fellowship. Those that we desire, would long to be with us this morning. We pray that you would send your word and heal their disease. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, if I was to put a title on the message this morning, and I think also it, I feel that the Lord is impressed that this would be also the theme for the year that's ahead by the grace of God, then I would just simply entitle it, Just Live Faith. Just Live Faith. One of the greatest... Uh, Doctrines that there is in Scripture, I believe one of the greatest, if not the greatest, there's many, they're all great, but one of the great ones is the doctrine of justification. That might sound quite a lot, but really it's just a wonderful truth for the believer. The Bible tells us in Galatians 2 and 16 that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. To be justified at the the point of your new birth, it simply means that you're to be rendered righteous or to be rendered holy in the sight of God. The act of justification that took place through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a wonderful doctrine. It's a fundamental doctrine of the church. And in the act of God rendering us holy in the sight of God, for the Bible says, without holiness shall no man see God, but one day we shall see him. How can we see him, knowing that we're wretched sinners, condemned and unclean? But through faith in the righteousness of Christ, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are rendered holy in the sight of God. And one day we will see him even face to face, face to face with Christ, 
my Savior. What a day that will be. And it's only possible not through any of our works, because our works in itself, you know, the Catholic Church will, will propagate it as a work salvation, but, you know, works actually increases our debt to God because our own righteousness are as filthy rags. So if we're trying to work to get to God, then actually we're increasing our debt before God. But it's in faith alone in Christ and His righteousness. And the crucial part of the justification of the, of the sinner to make them holy in the sight of God is the efficacy or the power or the effect of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus And in the act of justification, when we're rendered before God holy, blameless, innocent, as it were, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than we are just of being now justified by the blood of Jesus, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Thank God for the blood of Jesus this morning. The efficacy, the effect of the blood of Jesus Christ, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. We are rendered holy in the sight of a holy God, a thrice holy God. The sins that were committed are remembered no more. We are washed in the blood and we are justified not by our works, but faith alone in Jesus. The great doctrine of justification. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10 and 4, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. But then it also tells us in Hebrews, The much more, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There's power in the blood of Jesus. That efficacy of the blood cleanses us, washes us. We are justified by faith. And a wonderful thing happens. It's a miracle. It's not a decision. As much as a decision must be made. But the new birth is a miracle. A miracle must happen. It cannot be that 40 years ago I made a decision. What has to happen 40 years ago is the miracle of the new birth. You must be born again. It's a miracle. It's not a decision. A miracle happened in this heart and in your heart. And what happened through the blood of Christ And the justification of the sinner before a holy God is that Christ put His robe of righteousness upon us. We are covered in a robe of righteousness this morning. That's why we have a standing, that that imputed righteousness of Christ through faith, through faith alone, is placed upon that sinner. Remember that prodigal, take off those old filthy garments that are stained with sin, that smell of that pigsty, but put the robe on him. This is my righteousness. And he has access now. He is justified by the blood of Jesus. And he stands before his King and his Savior as though he has never sinned. Never sinned. That's a wonderful thing this morning. We are accepted through that blood and through the righteousness of Christ, we are accepted in the beloved. 
and the example of the imputed righteousness when the righteousness of Christ is put upon us is the father of the faith, which is Abraham. If you turn to Romans chapter 4 for a moment, just as we look at this just live faith, and I'm looking at just the justification of the believer. Excuse me, but Romans 4 and verse 3 says, For what saith the Scripture? Abraham, he's the father of the faith. Abraham believed God. He believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the, is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not. You see here that where, where we see it's important in the Catholic religion because it is not the church of Jesus Christ, but the Catholic religion will put the doctrine out of works. And men and women and in, in their millions across this world are every day attempting through works and the darkness to try and gain salvation. God have mercy. The darkness of that religion. Look what it says. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. I'm saved by grace alone. It's amazing grace this morning. But of debt, so more the works, more the debt is being built because they're trusting in their own good works, their own righteousness. Do you see it this morning, friends? And in this ecumenical movement of this world and of this age of trying to bring everything together, friends, this is not of works, it's the grace of God. Verse 5 says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for what? Righteousness. Do you believe this morning? Do you believe this morning? That's what he's asked. There's an exercise of faith in your heart. I do believe, I will believe that Jesus died for me. Friends, through that belief, there's a righteousness of Christ that comes upon you. On down the chapter, verse 20, looking at Abraham for a moment. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. He was strong in his faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he is also able to perform. Verse 22, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. He believed God. He believed the promise. He believed what God said He would do. He would do. And because of that, and the faith in the cross that was to come, He is saved today through faith in that alone. Verse 23 says, Now it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, is there any believers in this house who was delivered for our offenses and who was raised again for our justification? It's good to be justified. James 2 and 23 says, The scripture will be fulfilled, shall be fulfilled. Abraham believed God. It was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. The friend of God. Do you know if you're saved this morning, you're a friend of God. You're a friend of God. We're no longer enemies. We're no sons of the devil. We are a friend. How? 
because I got it all together, because I got it all, because I got a new suit, because I have the Bible in place, because I, no, because in my heart I believe that Jesus died for me. And on the third day, he rose again for my justification. And this morning, I stand washed in the blood of Jesus, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and I'm a friend of God. In Galatians 3, if you turn to it for a moment, Galatians 3 and verse 6, Galatians 3 and 6 says these words, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. <clears throat> now ye therefore, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Isn't that awesome? You're blessed this morning if you're saved in this room. You're blessed not because of the things you have, not because of the things he's given you, not because of the material possessions, not because you're up here or you're down there. You're blessed this morning because you're justified before a holy God and you have a friend and his name is Jesus. In Romans 8 then and 29, the Bible says these words, Romans 8 and 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate the purpose of God to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, the firstborn among the brethren is Jesus. So the pattern of every life that should follow, that every life subsequently born of the Spirit, the pattern of that is not the church doctrine or statement of faith. It's not the church tradition. It's, it's, it's none of those things. It's not a man in this fellowship, leader or not leader. The, the pattern of all of those things is him. Jesus then is the pattern for everything of how we are to live. He was born of the Spirit. So were you. You were born again of the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He lived that life he was baptized through water. Thank God for baptism and immersion. He set the example. He came up out of the waters. What happened? The Holy Ghost came upon him. We are to be baptized in water. We are to be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he was led by the Spirit. That's the example then to the church. Not tradition or doctrine or denomination. But Christ is the example. That's what it's saying. And so then knowing that, Verse 30 then says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, those who responded in faith and repentance to the call, what did he do? He justified us. And them he justified. One day he's going to glorify us. What's going to happen? This old body of aches and pains and sore backs, and sore hips, and sore knees, and frailing bodies. The outward man is perishing. But one day, brothers and sisters, he's going to glorify us. We're going to drop this old carcass off, and we're going to be glorified and have a new body. You'll not recognize me. We'll all be like him. That's what we'll all be like. 
that day when this body either is put in a hole in the ground or if he comes bursting through the crowds, the clouds in the twinkling of an eye, this corruption will put on incorruption, this mortal will put on immort. We'll all be caught up to me in a twinkling of an eye. We'll be glorified. We'll just be like Jesus. He justifies us. And then he'll also... He'll also glorify us. What a hope we have as the church of Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, he says, so what shall we say to these things? What are you going to say about this? Imagine. This is a question, by the way. It's not I'm asking it. Paul's asking it by the inspiration. What do you say about that, Leanne? What do you say about that, Hassan? What do you say about this, Paul? What actually do you say when you know you're justified by faith alone, not of your works or not of yourself? You have a stand before a holy God. My sins, which are many, are all washed away. I'm covered in the righteousness of Christ. I'm a friend of God. What do you got to say about it, Morris? The church is silent. But Paul says, I'll answer it for you in case you're not wondering what to say. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's what he said. If God's for us, who can be against us? What an answer. And what a question. If God be for us, who can be against us? This is the just. The just shall live by faith. In Romans 1, we read it in 17. The just, the just. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is is written. What does it say? Would you say it with me? The just shall live by faith. Would you say it again? The just shall live by faith. Say it again. The just shall live by faith. Say it one more time. The just shall live by faith. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? In Galatians 3 and 11, the Bible says that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So the just, the just, that's you that are saved in this house this morning, and your faith in Christ alone, the just are going to live. Listen, the just are going to live. They're going to live by faith. Well, I'm saved by faith. But friends, thank God you're saved by... But you're going to have to live a life. We have to live by faith. That word live, it's an amazing word in the study If you look at the word itself and you begin to look at the Greek and understand what it's actually saying, because if I say we're going to live by faith, and well, I know that we verse and everything else, and we can get the t-shirt and the mug and the video and the poster, but friends, it's more than a mug or a video or a poster. He wants us to live a life of faith. That word live means to be among the living and not the dead. What a word. The just. This is those that are justified. That live on this earth. That live in a real world. That's in chaos and filled with fear. But they're going to live different. That's what he's saying. 
They're not going to be among the dead, but among the living. Not lifeless. Not lifeless. That's what it means. You know, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, a couple of women came to the, to the tomb of Jesus and they prepared spices and everything was in place. But when they got there, they found the stone had been rolled away. And they entered into that tomb. But you know what? They did not find the body of Christ. There's a lot of people that are looking for the body of Christ today, friends. But he's not in the tomb there's a lot of people searching for Jesus and His body. That's the church. But they can't find the body. And many times when they do, it's dead. They're searching for the body of Christ, but it's not there. They're looking in the tomb, but it's not there. They're looking in the death of religion, but it's not there. They're looking at all the things of this world, but it's not there. But they are looking. The Bible says that the just are going to live. They're going to be alive. The church at Sardis had a name that it was alive, but it was dead. That's what Jesus said. They were perplexed as they were in that tomb. But thank God for the two men and shining garments that appeared. Thank God for an angelic visitation. Thank God as they were wondering where to turn to or who to turn to, that these angels came down and said, Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's alive. That's what it means. We're alive. We're living in a real world that's filled with death. But Jesus is alive. There's a world that are seeking the body of Christ, but they cannot find it. And many times when they do find it, it's dead. It's overcome with religion. It's overcome with tradition. It's riddled with opinions. It's riddled with division. It's riddled with death. But the just are going to live by faith. What has happened as we're sinking into the depths of the depression and the death of these days? The sad reality is we who have been delivered from the power of death through Jesus Christ, we're more afraid to die than those that have no hope. But the Bible says I've been delivered from the fear of death. That's what the Bible says. I'm delivered from... Paul said, it's far better for me to go. What's happened? Here's what's happened, friends. If you're risen with Christ, justified, Colossians 3 and 1 says, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your, what, your affection on the things above and not on the things of the earth. The affection of the church has been stolen by the things of the world and the world is an enemy of God. 
And so the affection of the church, the affection for Jesus, the affection for Him that is up in the glory this morning. But you see, the world has got into the church and the church now have an affection for the things of the world. We're more concerned with what's happening out there than seeking Him. Have you felt the pressure of that? Then you know what I'm talking about. The affections have been taken the affection of the heart of the church, the affection for Jesus, the affection. He said, get your affection set on me. I'm in heaven. I'm in glory. I'm seated at the right hand of God. I'm triumphed over death. I'll give you life. I'll give you to the full. But the thief suddenly has come and taken the affection of the heart of the church away. And that's why it's filled with death. That's why it's filled with depression. That's why it's filled with people not knowing what to do or where to turn. Should we open? Should we close? Should we go? Should we not? Because the affection has been stolen. The Bible says in Philippians 3 and 20 that our conversation is in, where is it? Where do you think it should be? The Bible says it's in heaven. The things that we talk about should be heavenward. Should be set there, but the conversation, you know, the affection's been taken because all the conversation, I'm talking about the whole broad thing, the conversation now is on this earth. And I tell you, friends, then you begin to talk and talk, and at the end of it, do you not feel the death of it? Do you not feel the fear of it? Do you not feel the unbelief of it? Do you not feel the oppression of it? Why? Oh, the just are supposed to live by faith. What has happened? We have our affections taken. We have our conversation not in heaven but on the earth. And then our eyes, our eyes are not fixed in the right place. What happens then? Hebrews 9 and 28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look. They look for him. What shall he do? He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. You see what's happened? Do you see what's happened? The affection of the church has been taken. The focus is on the earth. We are so earthly minded, we're no heavenly use. Because we're filled, not because we're sitting in bars or taking drugs or, or drunk out of our mind. We've, we've been delivered from that, but now we're actually no heavenly because we're so earthly minded. We've filled our stuff, our minds and our hearts with the things of the earth. That's the flesh that's on belief. But the just, the justified have to live by faith. There's a life to live for Jesus. Even in the midst of a pandemic, there's a life he wants us to live. That word life also means to enjoy life. To have true life worthy of its name. An active life, a blessed life, an endless in the kingdom of God life. The thief comes but to steal, to kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Abundant life. Not just the day you could see him, but we are supposed to live an abundant life for Jesus. Now, today, 2021, but there's a pandemic. We are supposed to have an abundant life. 
the affection's been stolen, the conversation's been changed, the eyes aren't on glory in heaven, and now the abundant life is more just words on a page, but not a living reality. Who wants this life? Who wants to live this abundant life that He's come to offer us? Who wants to hear about an abundant life that the just can live? Who wants to walk this overcoming life, the victory in our hearts, in the midst of a pandemic? Is it possible? Is God caught short? Did He not know what's going to happen? Does God not know what to do? The church may not know what to do, but He's on the throne. And He said, the just will live by faith. That word life, also means that that life, the, the, the life energizes, manifests through that vessel, giving that individual all what is needed for the manner of living and acting and for the morals and the character of the individual. You see, an abundant life makes us like Jesus in our character and in our morals. That's what it makes us like. It makes us like Him. This life, it's His life. It's abundant life, but we'll be like Him. Metaphorically, this is what it means. Listen, you, the Scripture's amazing. I know this is one word, and you think this is a treasure. You can dig into this all day, and you just keep on pulling out treasure, and it does your heart good. On one word in the whole Bible, live! And you can dig all day and you'll never exhaust it because you can never exhaust the Word because the Word's Jesus. This also means to bubble up, to gush forth. There's a lot of gushing, but it just isn't life. Are you getting me? There's a lot of gushing, but it's not life. There's a lot of gushing, but it's not a life-given source. But this life is a bubbling up with the suggested idea of refreshment used of the Spirit and the truth of God to, to satisfy the needs and the desires of the soul. Do you need this life? Do you need a fresh filling of this life? Do you need the life of God? You need it, Judith, in that ward. You need the life of God. You can walk through a ward that's filled with everything and have the life of God flowing out of you and overcoming life. Oh, but you don't realize. I may not realize anything about the hospital, but I know something about this life this morning, friends. There's a life that bubbles up. It means when that woman said, about drinking from that well. Jesus says, you'll drink from here, but you'll thirst again. But I've got water that I'll give you. You'll never thirst again. Having vital power in itself and exerting the same upon the soul. We have a life within us. And Jesus said on the last and the great day of the feast of any man, 
thirst, let him come unto me. And he that believeth in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he speak of the Spirit, which they that believe in him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, and Christ was not yet glorified. But this morning he's glorified, and the Holy Ghost has been given, and there's a baptism for every believer. Life, the just, shall live, 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 live. The just will live by faith. Do you think this, this is applicable to the last day's church? It's more applicable to the last day's church than any other church age that has ever been. The life of God. Do we not need the life? Do we not need the Holy Ghost? Do we not need the power of God? Do we not need this life? Does this world not need to see some people that live by faith? Not just a statement. Not just a word. Not just something stuck on a wall. Not just a t-shirt. But there's a Christian that's full of God. They're different. Their conversation's different. Their affections different. They're different. The problem is that when the church... As Vance Havner said, they get used to the dark. And in the dark, as the old man said, there's no color. We just all blend in with everything else. But let the light, let the light shine as the life. If you would for a moment, the justified have a life and they will live. What will they live by? Simple, isn't it? They're going to live by would you say it? Faith. Would you say the just shall live by faith? Just. just shall live by faith. You stop for a moment. And in a spiritual sense, if I could just stop everybody and just do a 180 turn for us to look the whole way back right over the history of faith. Right back to the father of the faith, right back to Abraham. If you stopped, if this church age stopped for a moment, because it seems as though it's buried its head in the sand and it doesn't know what to do, but if it just stopped for a moment and just looked over its shoulder and looked right the whole way back through the corridors of time and every church age and right back to Abraham, you would find... Now there are two lines, like a railroad that runs the whole way back. There's like two lines the whole way back to Abraham himself. One line is the household of faith. It records the people of faith, the just who lived by faith. In times that were even much more difficult than this to be a believer. Times when they were burnt at the stake. Times when they were slaughtered as families. Times when they were brought out and they would light the fires and a mom and a dad and children would be set on that stake and they'd be burned alive together. And the report says that they would stand and worship and praise the Lord to be counted worthy to be a martyr of Jesus. And you look right over your shoulder and see that household of faith. Parallel to the household of faith, you'll always seem to find another line. Another line. It's like the spirit and the flesh. 
It was like another group of people that never crossed into the line of faith. Never got off that line. You can get off the line of unbelief this morning and get into the line of faith. Two lines. They often heard the same word. They often seen the same mighty hand. Yet they never rose to the time and faith. Two lines that are flesh and spirit, faith and unbelief. Actually, these two lines run right through this fellowship this morning. And actually, more than that, they run into every individual in this house. The flesh and the spirit. The greatest war that you've got, the greatest battle that you'll face, is not the battle with your wife or your husband, but the greatest battle that you have this morning is when you stand and look in the mirror every morning. It's that person of the old man. And if you think yours is not as bad as mine, they're all rotten. If you seem to think there's something that's not so bad about you, whatever reason, let me tell you, the flesh is rotten. Paul says, I'm fighting a battle here. I'm fighting a war by this flesh, but by the grace of God, I'm going to overcome high by the life of God. When you look at Abraham, you see the line beginning, these lines. Hebrews 11 and 8 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. Here's faith this morning. I know there's a million messages on faith and probably a million and one books about it and probably even more messages about it on YouTube. But it's so simple. It's not just something that we say because the church has been saying a lot of things for years but there's been no fruit of faith. It's not just something that we write down in a bit of paper but this is faith. He was called. He had a promise. And see, faith, faith has obedience. That part has been taken out, especially in the Pentecostal church. When he obeyed, there was proof that he obeyed because the Bible says he went out. You see, in faith, there's separation. Listen to me, in faith, there's separation. You have to be able to separate. He didn't know where he's going. In other words, do you know, we know in part. Nobody knows it all. Nobody does. Anyone who tells you to know it all, just sort of slightly, steadily, but quickly move on. Because <laughs> nobody does. But you know what he does? And I hope I can convey it because I don't think I have all the words. I'm sorry to put it in to the language that I could. But what I know is that, you know, the Bible says we prophesy in part. In other words, you don't know it all, but something of God just comes into your heart and you know there's a reaction and there's a response to that, but you don't really know how it's all going to work out. That's why you need faith. But that's why you need obedience. And that's why you need separation. He was willing to obey God. He was willing there was a cost, but he was willing to go. He heard him call. He didn't know how it was all going to work out, but he just said, Lord, I'm going to go. There was a hook in his heart. It was the Holy Ghost. He didn't have all the answers. 
He didn't have all the A to Z's. He didn't have a big list of how he was going to do it. But it was a heart that said, God, I've heard you call and I'm willing to go. I'll step out. I've got your promise. But I'll tell you, all you need is a promise. I don't understand it all. But I know there's a hook in my heart. But I'm willing to obey and go. I'm willing to go. And many have heard the call, but they've never obeyed. Many have heard and felt the tug, but they've never stepped out. Many have never been willing to give anything up. But Abraham obeyed. Then you begin to see this track that runs the whole way through the household of faith. We even see it in the father of the faith. We see it in his life. Abraham wasn't perfect. And neither are you. And let me tell you something. I'm the least perfect person in this room. It's not perfection that he's looking. He's not that you have all it in a box and all sort of thing. He's looking a heart that's saying, yes. Yes, Lord, I'm willing you may not shout it like me. It might just be a whisper in the heart that says, God, I'm willing. Not only are you willing, but you'll obey. Now here we see it. It's amazing when you watch and follow it right through. You get to so many stories in the life of Abraham. But for one, for example, is there's the tracks with Ishmael and Isaac. You see them? There they are right there. There's the two lines. God's promised, but let's help God out. Let's do it our way. Let's try to get something together. So we have done this. And God's saying that just to live by faith, I've given you a promise, Abraham. It's not going to be your way. It's going to be my way. But she's old. I don't think it's going to work out. But I'm the God. Now there's nothing impossible for me, Abraham. Believe me. And there's an Ishmael and there's an Isaac. You know, there's an Ishmael and an Isaac here. It's not a, a person. That's the flesh and the spirit. You look at it with Jacob and Esau. Esau, Esau, listen, he sold out on God. He sold out on the blessing. He gave it up for a pot of stew. Imagine the blessing, the obedience, the faith, and he was willing to give it up for something that was earthly. Oh God, we might say this morning, oh, pfft, I would never do that. I want to tell you something. Most of the church has done that today. We have sold out on the presence of God for something we can create ourselves. We have sold out on the hand of God, leading and guiding and the miracles of God in the midst so that something that we can conjure up to create our own atmosphere. Oh God, they're sold out for a pot of stew. We see it even with Moses in his life again, the mediator of the Old Testament. But we see him as he murders the Egyptian. There's the track running right through. But it's not going to be with the arm of flesh, Moses. But 40 years later, there's an old man coming down the track with a rod in his hand and saying, let my people go. He moved from one track to the other. You know you can get off the track. You know you can get off the line of unbelief and the flesh. You know you can get off the line of fear and doubt. You know you can get off that line and onto the line of faith. 
What line do you want to be on? We see it with Caleb and Joshua, two spies, 600,000 men represented by the ten spies. We see the promise. We see the mighty hand of God. We see God had delivered them. We see God working and His purpose is being fulfilled. They all seen it. They all seen it. They all seen what God had done. They all seen the sea open. They all come marching through. They seen their enemies defeated. But yet two said, we're more able. And ten said, we're not able. You see the track? It cost them. It cost them dear. It cost them dear, friends. And so this track begins to run. You'll find it in the history books. You'll find it in church history. You'll find it the whole way through the corridor of time, right up to Jesus himself. You know, he, he was walking one day and a man called Jairus came and fell at his feet and said, my daughter is sick, would you come? Jesus says, I'll come and heal her. And as he's going, you know the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And she was waiting for him to pass that way. And she said within herself, if I could but touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be whole. She presses through the crowd. She lays hold of the hem of his garment. Instantly, she's wonderfully and gloriously healed. And the Lord said, who touched me? You remember the story? And the disciples are saying, but Lord, everyone's pushing and shoving you. There's crowds. There's everyone. There, everything's happening here. And then this woman says, it was me. And he says to her, there's the line running. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. And so he goes to Jairus' house because now the news has come. Jairus, his daughter's dead. And there's faith and there's unbelief running because even now some are saying, look, if there's not much point going. What's the point? Not much point going to the house of God. Not much point going to meet together. Not much point going. Sure, we could just do it in our living room. What's the point? Jesus comes into that little room. Raises that wee girl, 12 year old, from the dead. Then it tells us in Mark chapter 6, it says there that he entered in and came to his own country. Watch this. Now the lines are running. Here is Christ. Here is fully God, fully man, born of a virgin. He comes to his own country. His disciples are following him. They all heard of the great things that had happened. They heard about the wee girl being raised from the dead, the woman with the issue of blood. And there he enters into that place, that synagogue, and they were astonished at the things that he said and the wisdom that he taught with and the mighty works that were wrought by his hands. And verse 3 says, But is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon, is not his sisters here? And they were offended. Jesus said, you know, a prophet, he's not without honor, but in his own country. In other words, he's saying there's no honor for a prophet in his own place, in his own country, in his own town. His own relatives, his own people around him were saying, no, no, we can't see this. We can't see who you are. You think about it, friends, all the glory of heaven and God was in Christ and he's standing in their midst right before them, the healer, the deliverer, the baptizer, the savior of the world. There was nothing too hard for him and they're standing looking at him and what they're saying is, no, no, 
No. No. The Bible says this, and he could do no mighty work. You imagine that. As that line of faith runs right through that house, and he couldn't do anything with them, because they would not believe that he is the Christ. Sobering, isn't it? How many times does that track run through these meetings? How many times that track runs through the church of Jesus Christ today and the age in which we're living? And it seems as though everyone's jumped onto the track and won't believe. No, but you don't understand. No, but you, you're maybe a bit extreme. You're, you know what I mean? Or you get it all. Something. He's like, I might be all that, but I tell you what, I do believe this Christ. Two lines are running through this house this morning. I've got great news for you. You might have come in on the wrong line, but you can get on the right one. Go and say that again, because you maybe not want to admit you come in on the wrong line. But you might have come through those doors in the wrong line, but I've got great news for you. You can get on the other line. See, that line of fear and unbelief, I've spent a week of fasting. I'm not saying this about me, but fasting my mind from everything that's going on. I could not tell you one thing that's happening. Not because I want to bury my head in the sand, but I want to bury my head in Jesus. And so it doesn't affect me this morning. People have listened to the news all week. That's why they're not here this morning. Because they're going to go with the other line. Two lines are running. Are you on the right one? The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. But now that I am saved, you know the whole doctrine of justification, most people are arguing over the fact that I'm saved and I can never lose it. Rather than saying, I'm saved and I'm going to live saved. You eternal security, you not eternal security. I remember a young girl in the old building came to me one day. She couldn't believe that I wasn't a Calvinist. 22-year-old, I'm standing there. I'm not much older. I'm only in my 30s. I'm a wee bit older. I'm a wee bit older again. She says, you're not a Calvinist. I says, no, I, I'm, I don't use the title of Calvinist. Or, oh, I can't believe that. I'll not be back to this church. Really? I want to tell you something. Jesus wasn't a Calvinist. And he wasn't an Arminianist either, in case you're ready to go, woohoo! <laughs> oh, I. There's near a Jericho Marchbeth here. We're too busy telling people, as Leonard Ravenhill said, how they can't lose their salvation rather than living the life that they are saved. Rather than reaching the lost that need to be saved. And I know I'll be boots through the coals for that by some. But friends, I'm dead to all of that. The justified or the just, what do they do? They live by faith. They live by faith. That's what we do. 
We live by faith. That's what makes us different, Richard. That's what makes us different in this world. We live by faith. So what about a church this morning as we look in the year ahead and as the railroad is running and the tracks are before us and you're looking down this road and we know in part and we're not too sure how everything's going to work but we know something of God's put into these hearts that we're believing for some mighty things in these days. I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen next. But what about it as you're looking down 2021 of the Lord tarries and spurs all our lives and he doesn't come for the church? What about it? What is it? What faith? What is it that you're believing for? Have you even sat down at the beginning of a year and said, Lord, wow, 2021. What's ahead? What's happening? What are we believing for? What's on your heart? Has God given you something? God revealed something? Is there something stirring in you? Have you even stopped to think about it? Have you even stopped to pray about it? Have you even started to say, God, I'm looking into a year here, but I'm excited about what you're going to do? Anyone even been thinking that way? Is there a hope in your heart? Is there a sense of, as you're standing, veering in, through the eyes of faith, not through the natural eye, because the natural eye, it's going to be catastrophe and disaster, because the Bible tells us that. But through the eyes of faith, what do you see? Tell me what you see, as the prophet said to the young man. Get up the top of the mountain, what do you see? Church, what do you see with your eyes of faith? What's ahead? Friends, I believe with everything and a renewed faith, to stay on the line of faith. I believe in for God to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. I'm believing for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I'm believing for God to rend the heavens and come down. I'm believing for a visitation because His church needs a visitation. The whole church needs a visitation of God. We need a revival. We need a stirring. We need God to break through in the midst of the hardness and the death and the unbelief and the fear and the confusion. All the works of the devil has ravished the whole church of Jesus Christ. And we need a revival. I believe for a revival. Believe for the souls of men and women. Believe for our loved ones. Believe for our families. Believe for a harvest. Believing for souls to be saved, for men and women, the boys and girls to be born of the Spirit of God. Believing for these 500 souls when the Lord said, you prove me now. He wants us to prove him that God, our God's able to do it. Believing for the finances to finish this building behind us, to see it established and open to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing for this Harmony School to be a beacon of light in the education world. That's what I'm believing for. Believing for the towns around us, for Downpatrick and Belfast and Kilkeel and so forth. We're believing for God to move. Is there a faith? Believing for a refuge for those that are pulled off those streets who want Jesus. Who want Jesus. And say, we've got a place. If you want this Christ, we'll love you and care for you. And he'll deliver you and he'll set you free. And believe in. Believe in for the people of God that are on those streets to be empowered by the Holy Ghost. That's the greatest need for the streets. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. Believe in. Listen. 
I'm going to share some things about believing for a Bible school that is spirit-filled, that young men and women can go to and get buried in the things of God and go out into this land as evangelists and pastors and teachers for the glory of God. Believing. I want to share some things if you don't mind. But I'm believing. i tell you what we've been believing for. And we've been praying and we've prayed for it for a couple of years. But I want you to listen. i tell you what I'm believing for. I'm believing for a wee place. For our older ones. When they need a wee bit of help. And a wee bit of dignity. And they can have their own wee bungalow. And they can all live one by another. And they're near the house of God. And the church can love them. And care for them. And we can bring them in to the meetings. And we can keep their dignity. And we can keep their integrity. And we can keep them covered in the presence of God and the love of Jesus. And believe them for something like that. Friends, you might say, well, that's not on my heart. Listen, someday you might need it. We want to care for the young, but we want to care for our older ones. We want them to be in a place where they're safe, where they're loved, where they're cared for that there's a Christian environment, what they've lived for. And when they're getting closer to that line, and when they're coming up to when they'll pass from this life into the next, when Jesus is about to come and take those saints home, that the family of God is a cloud of witnesses around them and saying, go on home, brother. And not be long, we'll be with you. Faith. Faith. Faith to believe things that are above and beyond anything that we can think or imagine. Faith. Who would believe? Who would believe for that? Who would believe for it? Two lines are running straight through this house this morning. I close with this verse. Hosea 14 and 9. Who is wise? Who is wise? And he shall understand these things. Prudent. And he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. And the just shall walk in them. But the transgressors shall fall therein. The ways of the Lord are right and the just shall walk in them. You might have come in this room this morning on the wrong line. I'm saying you're not saved and I'm saying you're in the wrong line because the flesh, you're on the wrong line. Many have been standing on the wrong line for a long time. We've just come to settle for things the way they're going to be. We're just on the line doing our bit. Many are standing on the line. The line of faith is saying, 
salvation. God wants to save you. The line of faith is saying, deliverance, I want to set you free. The line of faith is saying, I want to be your healer. I haven't changed. The line of faith is saying, I want to baptize you in the Holy Ghost. But we're just going to stop at this line. We want to stay on this line. Jesus is saying, I want you on this line. That line of faith that leads to glory, that leads to the fullness of Christ. He's saying, I want you over in this line. Faith. The just shall live by faith. We've got to live this. We've got to live this thing. This is more than a hand up. It's more than a piece of paper. It's more than a certificate on your wall. It's more than a t-shirt. Not against them and verses on your back. It's cool when you're younger. It's not really cool when you're older. But I'm just telling you this morning, it's more than that. It's more than that. It has to be something of this heart. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. If you're justified this morning, Paul says, what are you going to say about these things? I tell you, if God's for us, who could be against us? We're going to go out those doors. We're going to live a life, but we're going to live by faith. 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 What are you believing for, saint? What are you believing for? What's stirring your heart? What are you believing for, young people? What are you believing for? Exciting to be saved, to be young. Exciting to serve God. Exciting with all the potential that's ahead of you. You've got a young body. When it gets a bit older, it's just not the same. But you have a young body to serve God with. Do it! Do it! Serve God! What's God stirring your heart with? Believe God. Have faith. Make sure you get on the right line. Repent of being on the wrong line. So important. You say, God, I'm sorry. Because it's a sin. Get on the right line. And the just are going to live by faith. I'm believing God, are you? We're going to believe God for great things this year. But Tim, that's just like working on our emotions and rather stay on the line of just... I tell you, I can't, friends. I just can't. I have to believe God. Have to. There's many things, many reasons why I shouldn't. I can tell you that now as much as anyone else. I have as many problems as you have. I know everyone only thinks they have the one with the only problems, right? Because that's the way we start to think, well, we're the only one with all the problems. No, everyone's got problems. But I have to believe God. The just shall live by faith. That's you this morning. That's me. Are we going to do it? Let's stand together. Praise the Lord.